Hello and welcome to the third episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted and produced by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them about their start in the industry, what the influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on developer themselves and in the second half we discuss the game they are here to promote. And in this case, it is Star Trek Online. Joining me this week is Stephen Ricotta, lead producer of Star Trek Online. Hello, sir. Hello, Chris. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. So, uh, how did you start out making video games or computer games, or whatever you want to call them these days? Well, I guess it goes back about seven years ago. I was uh, I was an EMT, and I was kind of looking for a change, and um, I got into uh, QA, and so kind of where most people get their start. I was mm-hmm. uh, QA for a number of years, um, and then I came to Cryptic, where I was a QA tester for Star Trek Online, and then uh, I eventually kind of proved myself and worked my way up to my current position now. Excellent. So, the QA, was that playtesting, or is it more, was it bug hunting and that sort of thing, or all of, was, all of the above? All of the above, right? I mean, you want your QA definitely looking for the bugs, but they also want to tell you, you know, they're not there while you're developing. You want them to tell you, hey, is this actually fun? Because I think it's fun, but I've been playing it for... You know, nonstop. Yeah, it's uh, too close to the coalface sort of thing. Can't see the wood for the trees and say, you know that bit there? That's rubbish. And just have the courage to say that. But it's, 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 it's better than that because it's, it, you must be doing constructive criticism all the time. Otherwise, it's of no use. Am I right? Correct. Absolutely yeah. correct. Which is really hard um, to actually not be, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot harder than most people think. Especially yeah. when you're actually praying through something over and over. So yeah, and that, that's, that's great that you went way up in seven years. Wow, that's, that's quite a meteoric rise in such a short time. Well done. Um, Thank you. Um, so the next question I have for you is what's your, what are your biggest influences? What do you take from whatever medium or maybe other games or whatever? What, what's the thing that you keep on finding yourself being drawn to and actually feeding into your creative work? You know, it's, it's interesting. Having a, um, a broad uh, broad background and things that you enjoy and things that you pull from tends to kind of show in the game. A lot of people here, including myself, big into TV shows, big into movies, um, but also really big into games. So you'll be playing something new. You know, you could be playing League of Legends. You could be playing the new Assassin's Creed. You could be playing anything. You're like, wow, there's some really interesting stuff here that could inspire you. Um, on a piece of content or something that you're that you're looking towards, something that really inspires us is going through and watching the episodes. You know, there's just hundreds and hundreds of episodes to go through and watch, and sometimes you'll be on Netflix or just catching a rerun on something, and you'll catch something like, "Wow, I forgot that was in this episode. That was really cool. We should integrate that into the game." So that's kind of a resource that not a lot of other developers have. Is you know, a decade's worth of quality TV shows to kind of look back on and get inspired by. Absolutely. Been, I remember some extraordinary episodes that were in isolation 
that were just great on isolation, like especially on like DS9 had a lot of that. I, my, my personal opinion, um, there was like these episodes that this crazy stuff happened, and then they never spoke about it again. <laughs> it was really there was, there's a lot of episodes that did that, and that gives us a lot of room to where we go back and kind of flesh that out and finish that story. Yeah, um, that, yeah. I think that's something you did with the um, the Alachi is what we named them, the kind of tall, spindly guys that were featured in uh, in Legacy of Romulus. You know, yeah. they were seen in an episode in um, in Enterprise, and mm-hmm. CBS uh, actually said they kind of really liked those guys, and they would prefer if we kind of found a way to focus them into the game. Say, hey, get these guys, make them a bad guy, and flesh them out how you see fit. Complete that story for us. And that really gives us a lot of leeway to do that. Awesome. So I, I'm a firm believer, just going back to what you earlier said, that you know the best game developers are the ones that actually source from everything, just like, what they digest as as medium as entertainment or as, as sort of fiction and indeed non-fiction because you know fact is stranger than fiction um you know in, inspiring stuff from real world uh, events that happened in the past and uh I, I think one developer once said to me we need more game developers who don't like star wars <laughs> <laughs> like, oh i see i get your point it's, a, it's not no disparaging to star wars or indeed star trek or any other science fiction just saying you know the broader diversity we get the better games and, and other things we get. And it's very, very true. Absolutely true. So the next question is more of a personal one, is um, who do you most admire in an industry? It can be a company, it could be a person, but is there any particular thing that you get from and think, wow, they really know what's going on, We really know how to do this? Well, for me personally, it's kind of tough because I'm a mm. producer, so it's not like I can look up to an artist and see, oh, the work that he does is amazing. Um, but I can look at different companies and kind of see the cadence that they get things out and, and the organization that is obviously going on behind the scenes. Um, you know, just came out of employing Assassin's Creed uh, Black Flag. Yes. And just see how that company um, puts out a quality product uh-huh. pretty much every year on a, you know, 20 to 30 hour game. That's really impressive. And it's kind of like, wow, that's, that is a lot going on behind the scenes to organize a huge volume of people to do that huge volume of work. That's um, interesting. That's completely yeah. different than what we do here, right? We're a far smaller studio than that. Mm. But it's just something to aspire to. Like, wow, could I, could I go there and, and do what I do now over with you know, thousands of people? It might, be a of, sense of, it might be a sense of scale for you. <laughs> yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, it's almost a challenge. Like, is that something I could do? That's, it's incredible. It's so different. Yeah, um, it's interesting because the last uh, episode we had of the show, we had uh, uh, Inkle Studios who did the uh, sorcery uh, on the iPad, and they were yeah. talking about how you know they, they 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 played that game as well, and then they, and we were talking about how that the extraordinary two pronged storyline that's going on in that, and you can imagine the design book for that for that game. Yeah. For that franchise. The vibe for that game has to be has to be insane, right? For them to <laughs> it's got to be volumes of it. Yeah, <laughs> they must be projecting three or four, or five years ahead about where they're taking this thing. Um, we're not going to do any spoilers, everyone, but it's crazy. <laughs> um, oh, people yeah, don't really realize it that you know, like, yeah. and the fact is, you actually are in a VR simulator. People like, oh, there's a glitch there. Like, yeah, I know because it's a VR. It's- <laughs> You're not actually doing those things. It's a holodeck. Yay. Full <laughs> circle. Circle, yeah. Um, so which leads me on, really, quite lately, to what I actually playing now. Because I like to hear what 
game developers are playing because it gives it a little bit of hint that maybe what, what what gets their juices flowing apart from of course Assassin's Creed which you've just been playing. Sure, yeah. Um, I've actually um, been playing a fair amount of Star Trek. Whenever uh, a new season comes out, I like to get in there and play. Um, definitely a lot more than I usually do. I usually play a couple times a week, but I like to play even more than that. Right when a season comes out, to kind of Makes get sense. that player to get that player experience, so that way. Um, I can see what they're seeing. I can kind of play it from a player's eyes with my account that doesn't have any special commands or any special access. Um, that information helps us kind of find issues that made it live, but it also kind of informs on next time, oh, for the next season, this is what we can do better. Because now that I'm playing it like a player, I can see this issue I couldn't see before. Um, besides that, I've been playing Battlefield 4. I've been uh-huh. playing Assassin's Creed, as I said before. Um, that's about it. I've what got Oh yeah, yeah. No, I <laughs> completely understand. It's uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the the thing, Battlefield Four. How are you finding it? You enjoying it? Is it single player or multiplayer? Are you playing? I've been playing a lot of multiplayer. I've been playing a lot of multiplayer. Um, I just got it for the Xbox One, and um, mm-hmm. I think it's. I think graphically it's good. You know, it's got some. It's got some hiccups because it's a new game on a new console. But uh, yeah, I'm having a great time with it. Okay, um, I'm a big fan of, of Battlefield series. I, I, I regard it the game of moments. Um, I can share with you. Um, we we found a loophole in Battlefield Two, I think it was, yeah. and we found that um, there was a griefing system where it was broken, which you could probably empathise with. Like you have got to fix this. So basically, if you caused more damage to a larger vehicle, even though you're a smaller vehicle, they would actually you, they would the other players would be accused of team killing you, even though you killed them. So what we would do is we'd drive around a little tiny Jeep, strap some C4 in the front of it, and drive into tanks. And then, <laughs> then they say, do you want to punish the players for killing you? Said, yes. And we call it, you know... <laughs> You do that, but it doesn't, it doesn't punish the other players. Yes, exactly. Uh-huh. And I think the best one we ever did was when we landed on a helicopter. We jumped off the cliff, landed on a helicopter... Helicopter people got punished, even though we landed on them, and went yes. <laughs> it was our own side. We were doing this. That's, that's great. That we actually called it battle punish. It was, it was like, pretty good. Like, yeah, it was like, and when you think, when you see loopholes like that, and a developer you're going, what? people are horrible. Yes. Another stuff that's been big with uh, both of those games that I've been enjoying recently yeah. is their uh, mobile integration for iPads or tablet, any tablet. For um, oh right, yeah. For Battlefield, you got Commander Mode on there, and that's just a great way to keep uh, connected. And that's kind of the stuff that we're doing with our gateway system, trying to make that more robust. Things that you can do when you're not, you know, at your computer or in front of your console. Um, yeah. And they've got that, you know. So that's just kind of where the industry is going, and it's kind of interesting to see. How would, um, I don't want to reveal too much, but would, would you consider doing something similar for Star Trek Online or something so like we that? Have a, we have a, an app right now that gives okay. uh, you some information about your character. Um, right. But yeah, because Neverwinter, a uh, game also at Cryptic Studios, mm-hmm. uh, just with, uh, they've got their companion app as well. It's very similar to ours. But yeah, we've been thinking about doing um, some more gameplay stuff through, uh, through tablets. Yeah, um, tablets and indeed phones, because they're getting silly now, aren't they? I mean... The things in our hands, the palm of our hands, five years ago, if you took, went back in time with that, they would burn you as a witch. <laughs> <laughs> Coming back there with magic. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, incredible. Well, what, what are you doing with that? I'm so, okay, I'm sorry. We're going to have to burn you now. Sorry. Whatever that is. 
Um, and, you know, the power of them. It, they are. I mean, I've just got a 5S. It's extraordinary. <laughs> and it's not the yeah. most powerful phone out there. I mean, we all know that, but it's, it's iOS. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. Because yeah. my last phone is an Android, isn't it? It's great. It's fine. But it's like the amount of time. Yeah. Like, oh, is this app out? No, it's, it's not. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I just got tired of it. So I eventually defected. Okay, well, we can now move on to the second part. Uh, we can now, it's interesting, we could talk about other games all, all day, but uh, let's focus yeah. on the real fo- uh, purpose of, of the show, which is indeed Star Trek Online. Please, Stephen, tell us, give us the, give us the current state of where we are with Star Trek Online, because it's been around since ooh, 2010, is that right? Yep, that is correct, February 2010. Yeah, so uh, free-to-play MMO. And it started off with life as that. Is that right? I think it did. No, it didn't. No, it did not. No, it was a subscription-based MMO for about half of its life. And then when we get around about this February, it'll be uh, it'll be two years that it's been free to play. Okay. So again, tell us tell us about uh, about the game, the, the setup. So there's three three factions now. Is that right? So Star Trek Online is an MMO about the it takes place. You know, it's about living in the Star Trek universe. We've got three factions. We've got the Feds. We've got the Klingons. We've got the Romulans. You'll engage in diplomatic missions and story missions. You'll visit interesting IP locations. You'll engage in our awesome, you know, fleet combat or uh, ship combat system. We have, uh, we have kind of a fleet progression system we call uh, our guilds and our game fleets. And you right. can build out your star base and you can, we've got the lithium mines and all these other things. You build them up and then you get cool gear out of them. We've got a personal version of that that's just for you that's got content tied to it and you're earning rewards and progressing and powering up and, you know, there's just a ton of, ton of systems there, a ton of gameplay there, um, and just we're really excited about it. We've kind of really grown this game into something that we feel provides a real Trek experience with a lot of content, and uh, it's kind of for ourselves as well because we're huge Star Trek fans. So a lot of us not only like the like the genre and like the IP, but actually play the game on our own time. And just to get to clear, when is it set? I mean, we're not uh, ignoring the reboot thing because that's just different. Yeah, so it's, it's set uh, 2409, and this right. is about 30 years after the most recent movie that was released in the Prime universe, in the non-J.J. Uh, Abrams universe. Right. Okay. So, yeah, it's it's uh, the Borg things happened, and the and the yeah, and the, the Gamma Quadrant's all been sorted out. I think. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. so, how much canon is it? I mean, is it, is it enshrined in? in in the storyline, as if they if they carry on with the original universe, sort of tranche with it, with it, with it is it all fitting into that? Is it all? Sort of- uh, so we we make it fit within the the hard canon from the shows and from the movies, and we also um, when we can try to fit in the soft canon stuff from the books that isn't necessarily considered exactly part of the lore, but you know gives good story beats. Um, but CBS, if they choose, they can you know use any of the stuff they want if they make another show and they like our enterprise and kind of like what we did with it, they could take that and, and use it, and then we'd be actually part of the, um, the hard canon. So 
It's definitely cool because we work very closely with them. So we're kind of looking forward to that someday, getting some uh, some of our stuff into the into the hard into the hard cannon. And just to be clear, the players take on the role of a captain of a ship. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. They start. Uh, we've just made a new tutorial for the mm. Federation. Uh, the Romulan tutorial is actually was part of Legacy of Romulus, and the Klingons got a new tutorial um, during Legacy of Romulus. Um, so yeah, everyone kind of starts off um, either as a cadet or a civilian, and then works their way up to uh, captaining a ship. That's fantastic. And you are flying around using warp drive and that sort of thing. In, Everything. Warp drive, tweezers. Yep, the whole thing. Pulse drive, shields, inertia dampers. I know my stuff. <laughs> There's enough techno babble to choke a horse in there. <laughs> well, the inertia dampers, yeah, well, go on. There's a reason why they have those. But anyway, um, it, it's basically all these little things they have. It's just excuses like, we know this doesn't really work in real world physics, but we're just going to plug it in with this weird thing. There you go. Oh, yeah. they, got, they have the Heisenberg compensators, right? So, for, so that way you can use transportation technology. It's, it's great. It's fantastic. I, I uh, you know, it's uh, as an, uh, understanding that sort of stuff is cool. Um, yeah. So one thing you haven't mentioned, I really want to talk about because it, you got it on. Uh, you mentioned Neverwinter as well, which again I've played. It's fabulous. Go back to your team and say thumbs up. Lovely game. Um, is as well as this here, of course. Um, the Foundry system, which was founded, I believe, in in STO. Am I wrong? It's basically a, an idea where Players create content. Can you expand on that? Yeah, and it was and it was launched in uh, in Star Trek Online. Yeah. So. So. Yeah. So in Star Trek, in general, it's all about the story, right? Mm-hmm. It's all about fans have been writing stories. You know, and when the original series went off the air, between when Next Generation came out, fans were writing stories. Even after fans were writing stories. So in Star Trek, when we try to put out story content, we try to make it robust. But every fan has a story they want to tell, whether it be about someone in the known universe or about some enemy faction or it's about you and your own personal crew that you've been having adventures with. So we wanted to give players the ability to get their stories into the game and then let other people play that content that they create. And I I have to be honest, we're constantly impressed, constantly impressed by missions that we come across. Like, whoa, they did that with our system. They, you know, it's just, it's just crazy. These guys are kind of bending the rules and, and being really creative and thinking outside of the box and making some really, really incredible content. So you have to, you give the, almost embarrassing you sometimes, I suspect. <laughs> it's like, we're making this content and then we're being outdone by people who play this game. It's like, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, they're doing, they're doing great work. We're really impressed. And, and the community has really come together. Those guys uh, that are really the hardcore um, editors and creators of this content, they really like doing it. I know a lot of people like playing it. So we try and get in there and make sure there are solid rewards for playing Foundry content, so that way people that make content are rewarded by people playing it and getting their, their tips if, if uh, people feel they deserve it. So that's the incentive, isn't it, to make this stuff, isn't yeah. it? You get rewarded with more people who play those modules or whatever, play those isolated... You become, uh, yeah. you get, you become famous in-game. You become an author. People know your name. They would know, you know whatever your in-game name is. Captain Chris. Yeah. Captain Chris makes best content, you know? So it, that's kind of part of it. Yeah, I mean, speaking personally, I do. I'm very much a DM when I play D and D and and other yeah. uh, pen and paper RPGs. So that really does, you know, uh, pique my interest because I do like creating things and then torturing the players. I don't kill them. I don't try to kill them. I really don't. <laughs> I, I I always bring them to the brink because that's entertaining. But you know, it's, <laughs> it's, if, there's I don't, no I don't, danger, if there's no element of danger, it's not exciting. 
Exactly. If, if I say, if it's not hard, then what's the point of doing it? You know, it's, like, yep. it's just dull. Um, so that's, I just wanted to bring that out because that's a key feature that your, your team has, has invented. And it's it, it really interesting to see. It's like a almost modding, what well, is modding, um, uh, an MMO, which is legally, as opposed to taking it off you know, some server and what have you. You actually endorsed modding of your own MMO, which is amazing. Pretty much. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. Um, yeah. Um, now, I want to talk about the last expansion, which I've I'm, I'm read correctly. is the addition of the Romulans. Is that right? right? That is the yeah, like it's your Romulus. Lemons of Romulus. Um, been destroyed, sad face. And yep. uh, I never, yeah, the Romulans have been a fascinating, irrational race, in my view, uh, driven by emotion 100%, which is unlike their, their Vulcan cousins, and uh, which makes them do weird, irrational things, <laughs> in my view. Yeah, they, um, they some, pretty, some pretty dangerous enemies, but also, you know, very stealthy, very, very spy oriented. They are very spy, very, and, and yeah, indeed. So. I just wanted to ask you, uh, like a, this is very much sort of you as a producer, really. How has the community taken to that? That third faction, they've been fighting as two factions for heaven knows how long. All of a sudden, you throw this third lot into the mix. How has that been, been accepted, and how has it worked? It's been pretty well received. Um, when we had it on our test shard, Trouble, we got a lot of really great feedback. But when it went live, uh, the people, the number of people playing it and the response we got just exceeded all expectations. It was just... Across the board, people really liked playing as the Romulan faction. I love the story that we came up with with these Romulan survivors, people that kind of survived the destruction of Romulus and are then trying to kind of form their own fleet and kind of trying to find a new home planet and creating new Romulus. And then the whole back and forth with the Tal Shiar and this Alachi group, and they're just kind of coming into their own while also uh, finding an alliance with the Federation and the Klingons. Uh, because they are, you know, a very small kind of fledgling um, nation or, or planet uh, these days. Um, but in general, people were really happy with it. People in our game love story content. Mm-hmm. Uh, we feel, they feel this is some of our best story content. You know, over 20 or so episodes, we tell kind of a cohesive story. We're always touching on the main events. feel that it wraps up really well in the finale. Um, yeah, feedback's been really positive, and we've been really happy with that. And, and the faction itself, even now, is thriving, so that's great. Okay, and there is a faction versus faction conflict. Just want to be clear on that, or, or I just want to ask you about the PvP aspect of the game, really. Sure, there's faction. There's still um, Federation versus Klingons, and then the Romulans choose which side they want to uh, assist in, in that war. Interesting. Oh, because yeah, neutral party. Well, yeah, well they're not really, but they they yeah, pretend to be. Sure. But they're ultimately out for their own <laughs> strange, irrational gains. Yeah. <laughs> um, Okay, well, going back to the community a bit, really, I also want to talk about the, you mentioned about the, the it was a subscription-based game, and you say it was, but it kind of still is in a manner of speaking, but I just wanted you to expand on the free-to-play model that, that, that STO actually has. So, yeah, so we were subscription first, so we still allow for uh, people to continue to subscribe. And subscribers get a whole host of benefits, increased inventory space, bank space, you know, the amount of energy credits you can have. Um, there's a lot of great benefits to being a subscriber, but you don't have to be. You can totally be a silver player. You can definitely play the game. We don't charge for any content. Everything that's in there, everyone can play. We don't want to uh, split up our community. Um, but on the other end of it, we do sell, you know, ships and costumes and service items like, again, inventory expansions or XP boots, um, lockbox keys, things like that, all contribute uh 
I'll contribute to the game. And then if you're someone that, you know, doesn't have a lot of money, all this stuff is completely accessible in the game. If you earn dilithium, you can trade that on the dilithium exchange for, um, for Zen, and then you can spend that Zen in the store. So if you're willing to put in the time, you can have anything in the store just for playing, not for paying. So there's a lot of um, vanity items, would you say? Don't like calling it that, but there's items that may not have a actual positive sort of um, uh, direct sort of numerical effect, but they do look amazing. Sure, yeah, there are some there are some vanity items, and then there are definitely some items that uh, that have an effect on the game. Yeah, so XP boost and stuff. I just want to make that clear because I'm. But I love the fact that you do have the two branch model. We're like, do you prefer subscribing? Because a lot of people will do, and yep. include, include myself in that. Because I said to you, I've been playing MMOs for a very, very long time, and I find yes. it difficult. I find it difficult to go. I don't know how much money to give you. You know, I'm sitting there. That's the problem with free to play games. Like, I, I just don't know. Do I, is it Fiverr? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, I, don't, I understand. And, and yeah, and it's really good to go. Well, for people like you who are like, I just don't know how much to give it. It's are you playing this regularly? Yeah, well, just, just give us a you know ten bucks a month. That'd be fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> everything, helps. everything helps. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's really good. I just want to make sure that was the case. Um, then this is a, a question that I've had a lot of debate about where mo- massively multiplayer games are going, and the, the the I don't know using this phrase because it sounds like marketing speak, but the space they're in, you know, the the market they have, and the I mean. Sure. The thing about video games is that we don't realize this because you and I have been playing these for millions of years, but more and more and more and more people are playing them now than ever before. We don't really understand this because we think it's like, oh, no, you know, but now it's perfectly socially acceptable to say, yes, I play video games, whereas, again, 10, 15 years ago, maybe even five years ago, it's like not so much. I don't know if you found this, yeah. but it's, it's not as, you know, you don't no longer have to explain yourself <laughs> what you do for a living. But. I definitely agree. No, the, the number of people, number of uh, friends who now play games that didn't when I was younger yeah. um, has gone up dramatically, right? It's, it's definitely become more acceptable. It's not something to be embarrassed about. Absolutely, which is such, so liberating because finally I can say, we well, over the weekend I, I played, you know, Assassin's Creed or something. And oh, really? Uh, and just, uh, not like, it, it's, it's very liberating. And this leads on to a point about the change of, 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 the, of the scene of definitely massively multiplayer games. And uh, there's a theory, and I'm not sure if you you agree with this, that the MOBA games, you know, Dota and 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 um, oh, League of Legends and that sort of thing, are actually encroaching in your space. Um, do you find that these games have influenced the development in any way of of Star Trek, or indeed any of the other MMOs that you work on, or do you just see them as a separate thing? Well, they they are kind of persistent, right? Especially in mm-hmm. League, you kind of your runes and you and you level up and you have your persistence per map and then you have your overall overall persistence that you're working towards. Um, and we have a lot of people here, including myself, that play League and enjoy it, right? I don't play as often as I'd like, but I do get into matches here and there. And there's a lot of people here that play it all the time. Mm. And so if you're playing a game and you really like it, it's difficult to not have that influence your design decisions when you're creating a game. Yeah. Um, we, I mean, as a game that's also been around for four years, you're constantly looking for ways to kind of keep the game fresh. And, and over that amount of time, what was in vogue four years ago may not be the most popular uh, genre now. So you kind of, you're kind of moving along with the times and making sure that your game, game stays modern, right? So that way it doesn't kind of fall to the wayside. Um, and while we haven't necessarily, you know, put a MOBA into our game and added <laughs> MOBA game types, um, it's something that 
we're not opposed to doing and are free to investigate, but at this time we haven't done anything with it. But yeah, it's definitely an inspiring genre, especially uh, how well it's doing and how quickly it's kind of uh, taken over the PC space. This is my point. Is it is it taking over some of the MMO space? Do you think, or do you, or do you think there's lots of? I mean, you're playing both. I'm playing both. <laughs> so, and so it kind of it kind of depends, right? If uh, maybe maybe if your game is PvP focused, it might even do it. Our game is we have PV, PvP in our game, and we you know appreciate our PvP community. But a lot of our a lot of our content is PvE focused, um, so we haven't seen it. Um, Impact us, but I could see possibly a, a PvP-based game might might have some problems because that's that's all this is. It's just nonstop uh, PvP matches. Well, is this the feature? Something I've always wanted to ask you know, developers like MOBAs. Have you really seen what they're doing to you? Like nothing? What? What? Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's like this mind share of it, and they're thinking, hmm. People are focusing yeah. on this and this, but. I do think generally when people want to actually punch each other, they actually play a MOBA. And then if they want to experience a story and they make their own story, then they'll, they'll play STO or, or Neverwinter. Yeah, and they may, they, may have, uh, they may have kind of invented a new genre, right? I don't know if they're pulling so much from – a lot of existing PC players are playing it, but they may have pulled in people that don't necessarily play those types of games at all and brought them in fresh, right? And they're, exactly. just, they're kind of building a new genre with a new audience. Right. So – I'm going to sign off now with this last question. This is really about the very latest um, um, thing you've, you've, you've launched. Um, is it uh, episode eight, is it? Is that right? Yeah, yes. Yeah, and uh, it's about this new alien race. Can you tell us a little about it? Because um, I've got a, a, a query about how you integrate new content and keep everyone happy. But can you tell us a little bit about it before I ask, go into too much detail? Sure, sure. So season eight is called The Sphere. <clears throat> Kind of kicked off a little preamble that we did with a featured episode starring Michael Dorn reprising his role as Worf. Okay. Um, and you're kind of uh, on a mission on New Romulus, and you get sent into this facility. You're not sure what it is, and it turns out it's uh, Solene, which is another one of those inspiration from an episode. It's those uh, the click clicks you might recall from Next Generation. They were stealing people in the night and doing medical experiments on them. Um, oh God, yeah, yeah, that's great. And they're they're running. Uh, <laughs> They're running an Iconian, which is, have kind of been our, our big bad behind the scenes for all four years now. They're running an Iconian uh, gateway facility. And so you're in there, and you're kind of learning, and you're trapped, and you're finding your way out. And, and uh, in your process of finding your way out, you accidentally turn on all the disabled Iconian gateways in the area. And at the end of the episode, you, um, you discover that there's um, a call coming from, from the Delta Quadrant, kind of the Beta Delta Quadrant border. And okay. in season eight, you discover that, that call is coming from a Dyson sphere, which is a gigantic, gigantic structure that encapsulates an entire star and is powered by this star. So basically building a giant building around a star and just keeping all that energy is just massive in scale, absolutely mm. massive. And so you're going into this and you're trying to figure out what's going on in there. When you arrive in the Dyson sphere, you discover that the Voth, who are featured in Voyager, right. very, a very, very technologically advanced race, um, technically from Earth, um, you know, millions and millions of years ago, uh, they're there because they're so technologically advanced, they found this Dyson sphere that is even more technologically advanced than them, and so they're trying to kind of harvest those secrets, and you're trying to stop them because the technology itself is incredibly dangerous. It uses omega particles, which was also featured in Voyager, and omega particles are so dangerous that Starfleet captains are ordered to destroy them whenever they find them. Um, oh, that's true. So- they are, yes, because the nature of the conflict in in the Dyson sphere. Wow, 
so that's that's quite a lot. that's massive and i noticed that uh you've done you've added all sorts of things i've been watching videos and, and beating up and all about it, looking at the screenshots it looks looks stunning um yeah what you've done. you know adventure zone we've done ground adventure zones like we did on new romulus um this is a space adventure zone you're flying around the inside of this dyson sphere so you're in atmosphere with your ship which is pretty cool um with all these different locations and, and things to do and you know Voss to take out and you know they have friendlies to work with, and you formed an alliance with the Klingons and the Romulans while in this sphere. You're going to team up because this is just kind of too big of a deal to kind of lead to itself. Right. Um, we've got our new battle zone on the ground. We kind of pioneered this, uh, this kind of battle zone concept that people are seeming to enjoy a lot where you're on the ground and it's persistent, and you're working towards an end goal of taking over different territories from the Voth, and then once you do that, fighting, uh, fighting a boss fight in three of these different regions. We've got some cute events where you're, you know, you're fighting against uh, a Voth ship that is just enormous in scale, enormous in scale, just 135 kilometers long. It's, uh, it's ridiculous. You're, taking, you're fighting it on the outside, punching a hole in it, flying to the inside, taking out the power core, and then flying out again before you get blown up. Um, there's just a lot. We've you know, expanded the fleet system, updated the reputation system, made it a little more player-friendly. There's, uh, there's a lot going on this season for the players. And just, just yesterday, our winter event launched. Mm-hmm. Which gives yeah, I noticed, them yeah. Gives them an opportunity to earn a free ship um, and go through and kind of play in Q's Winter Wonderland with a lot of kind of cheeky things with, you know, throwing snowballs at, you know, enemy snowmen to take them out and saving gingerbread men that have come to life and just, just a lot of fun stuff that we can get away with because Q's there doing it all. Fantastic. Uh, I do like the uh, MMM. Um, MMOs do, do do their seasonal events very well. Um, universally, I think you you'd agree that uh, yeah they do pull out the stops when because like why not <laughs> it's craziness yeah it's a lot yes. of, it's a lot of goofy fun that everyone can enjoy yeah so the question I have is really when you release new content like this how on earth do you cater for the the vast spectrum of levels of of players, um, so I'm open any question, but you've got new players maybe stumbling in. You, you, you put this big push out for to telling us all about this new content you're releasing, which you do on a regular basis. Uh, and now, you know, so how do you cater for them and the players maybe you know mid sort of like you know through the game and also end end game sort of content? We try to we try to focus our releases, whichever one we do on you know, perhaps a new group or, or an existing group. For example, Legacy Romulus was all about the new experience and, and new players, right? That was starting from scratch with the Romulans and running through there. Um, this time around, we're focusing a lot on, on Endgame, right? All of this content mm-hmm. is Endgame. But we did go through and revamp the Federation tutorial from scratch, and so that'll give new players um, really something to kind of players that are brand new go in and play and kind of experience that from scratch, but players that have been around for a long time going through and they can actually check it out and see with an alt, wow, this is a completely different experience. Um, right. So that's really then, good. Yeah. yeah, and then before we launched, kind of knowing that this was focused on Endgame, um, we had our XP event running for, uh, for, for a couple of weeks, so people that had lower level alts or were new to the game could level up quickly and kind of get to this get catch up to this end game content. And we also had a sale on our XP boost as well to kind of really help people that had some lower end characters get, uh, get to the max end. So that way they could play the, uh, the top end content. That's, that's what we need to happen with, with that kind of content. I'm sure you have to really carefully plan out every new release and every, to make sure that the vast spectrum of players is actually catered for in some form. Absolutely. And we, you know, we look at the boards and we look at the community and we look at what, you know, but guys like you and websites and everyone saying that we use all that information to inform on what we're going to do, you know, 
far in the future, and we kind of take the take that feedback and fold it in what we're doing. This is a this is a live game. This is a living game. The community constantly has a say, even if they they may feel they don't. Their their words carry weight, and we definitely fold it into our plans. Yeah, because without them, you are nothing. <laughs> right. So it's, it's, a, it's, much a, it's very much a symbiotic relationship. You know, we make the content, or we make the the systems. They give us feedback. They may come up with a new idea that we hadn't thought of, and. It's all, it's all about working together. It's all a collaborative effort, and, and we, we enjoy it. We enjoy it. Well, Stephen, thank you very much for your time. I really, really appreciate you sharing your, your time with us. And, uh, no problem at all. I actually have a question for you. Okay, go on. I, I always ask this at the end of all my interviews, if you don't mind. Go on. Okay. When you are eating brownies, do you prefer the gooey middle pieces or the crisp exterior pieces? Crisp exterior. Oh, that's unfortunate. That's <laughs> I wish you had the right answer. That's that's okay though. I'll let it slide this time because you're a Trek fan. <laughs> I don't know what to respond to that. Um, okay. I don't know what it says about me as a person. There is a right question in that for that answer. I apologize. Because <laughs> the gooey stuff sticks to the roof of your mouth. It's horrible. Oh uh, no. <laughs> the way to go <laughs> <laughs> anyway um so on that note i'll bid you farewell um if you please do listen and uh, give us a review on itunes and uh, and if you want any feedback on us um, just uh, send this email to tsf at spong.com 